0: we got sound hymn number 425 if you would 425 tell it to jesus 65 465 Only trust him Only trust him First, second, and last stances Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Would you stand with us as we sing? This will be our offertory hymn. Hymn number 450. Lord that uh, will help us to serve you a little bit better. All these things we ask Lord in Jesus name. Amen.
1: We have a
2: video here on Boston. Greater Boston is an
1: absolute culture creator. For its size, it wields incredible influence. So the opportunities here for literally impacting the country and the nations may be utterly unique
3: now the city's filled with beautiful old church buildings uh, most of those unfortunately this sunday would be empty they believe in god for the most part they have no idea why they believe in god they have no idea what element of spirituality they believe in we have to come here because of the the, the lack of gospel presence
1: and it's a post post christian context and our heart broke for the city because we saw such opportunity here
3: Now for planters to come, they're engaging a secular city. They're engaging a culture where people have never heard the gospel before. Boston is certainly a challenging place to plant churches.
1: Growth is slow because you're dealing with people who are so pre-Christian. It takes a long time to get a church up and running.
3: To see churches planted, to see them sustain, to see them grow, to see them reproduce, that's going to be a long road.
1: It's going to take... um, Partners really having that long-term vision to step alongside existing churches in the city of Boston and help them make an impact.
3: Those relationships can help the planters keep going.
1: The most important thing that partners bring to the table is the realization that we're not in this by ourselves. And in one week, a team coming to serve with us can do more in raw hours than our people could often do in six months or a year.
3: We believe there's great opportunity and fruitfulness for someone to move to a city like Boston to join in a church planting.
2: If we don't have people surrounded with us, if we don't have people partnering with us,
3: if we don't have people pouring into us, we cannot see this accomplished on our watch.
1: In 20 years, we want our church to not just know the church we planted, but to know the churches that that church has planted. This is our prayer and this is our hope to plant a church that plants a church that plants churches. God hasn't given me some crazy number, but I I don't know, 100 churches? I'd love to plant 100 churches in 10 years or 20 years.
3: I don't want my kids or my
2: grandkids to see it done. I want to see this. I want to see this done. This morning, Zach Bauer shared about Boston, so that's the video. They made that a couple of years ago with the North American Mission Board. Here at the KBC, our KBC churches have, there's 32 sin cities throughout the United States and Canada. Our state convention has partnered with three of those cities. One is Cincinnati. It's obviously the closest. I want to tell you why, what a sin city is. They've identified a city, usually large cities, that the inner city part of this um, the actual city proper itself has just deteriorated. The churches have really just gone out of business and deteriorated cities inside the city limits of Cincinnati and Boston and Salt Lake City. Those are our, as Kentucky Baptists, those are our three uh, cities that we've identified. So uh, I'll tell you, the, um, the KBC has, they, they, they invite people like once a year on these things called vision tours. And it's opportunity for church members and leaders to just go up and see the city, and Nam pays for it. Um, pays for most of, it. not all of it, though. I mean, you still have some fees. But there's uh, one coming up in August in Cincinnati. So if you're interested in that, they take you to different church plants, show you what the uh, Southern Baptists are doing. So it's a great way to connect. And that's what Zach went to in Boston. I did not realize how lost Boston was, and how many college students are there. That is phenomenal it was zach said gave the number and that's a few years old that video there so he said 300,000 they said 250,000 but still that's a huge cities that have that many college students have a larger than life impact uh on on people's lives so that's something as a channel a pathway i think for a church to connect with the sin city i mean that's what it means to be uh, partnering with Annie Armstrong. Annie Armstrong, we came in, I think, at uh, 6000 just over $6,000, like 6001 which is a great offering. Now, you may say, well, Pastor, that's not as many as last year. Last year, we raised 11400 and something dollars for Annie Armstrong. That was a world record for our 67-year history of Broadway. But just to put it in perspective, do you know, up until last year, the record for Annie Armstrong, well, I think was set in 2011, and it was 6700 So really, that 6,001, that's like our third highest offering ever for Annie Armstrong. So it's still very encouraging uh, how much we gave. Uh, You're going to see in your offering envelopes you receive at home, there's something that says Julia Woodward. Julia Woodward is um, uh, what we call the um, association. It used to be known as the Elkhorn Baptist Association. Now it's the central kentucky network of baptists and what that meant means is they just combined a couple of other associations and made one right here based out of uh it's over like five or six seven counties here in the area with that but that julia woodward offering goes towards the um associational wmu so julia woodward was a great leader here in our um uh, our city and I believe it Emmanuel Baptist Church for many years so they've named their annual offering which is usually around Mother's Day after her so that's when uh, we collected it last year I believe around De- uh, October but the association said they want around Mother's Day is the time to collect that offering so that is um, uh, when you see that in your offering envelopes that's that's who Julia Woodward is that's our association offering I think our record for that was from 2007 it was like $738, so um, you know, we can certainly break that and make a, a great record for our church in giving to our local association uh, uh, towards that. We have a national crisis in our church looming, and I'm, I just talked to Darlene and Ed about it. I'm going to share about Sunday, next Sunday more. I didn't have any time this morning uh, to talk about it, so uh, I'll talk about it next. <clears throat> if you look on the back of your bulletin, the most important thing is the menu. We have chicken casserole this Wednesday. Darlene takes a break, starting her last day to cook. Darlene runs our kitchen. She's our first string cook. Last year, Aaron uh, Welch cooked during the summer. Aaron got a new job. He's now working at um, the Willows. So that's going to take him out of cooking uh, Wednesday night. Now... I know six people, at least in our house, we're not going to do. I mean, Darlene stops. Her last day is May 16th. So we only have three more meals coming up. And she doesn't start back until that Wednesday after Labor Day. So that's a large. So, uh, you know, Aaron's our second string cook, and now he has a job. So if we have a cook here who'd like to be a summer cook, Darlene is hiring. You need to see her. She'll talk to you and let you know about it, let you know we like country cooking here at our church. So that's you you say, what's country cooking? Think Cracker Barrel, whatever they serve. Just go there and take their menu home with you and say, this is what I'm going to serve at church here. But in all seriousness, this is something. uh, I think that's a great ministry for our church. And not only that, even not just for the people there, we actually... Uh, send food home with folks, and uh, take it to uh, people who are uh, homebound. So it's, it extends farther than just the kitchen and the fellowship hall. So be th- in all seriousness, be thinking about that. We do need, uh, otherwise we won't, have, uh, we won't have any food so, uh, this summer. So be thinking about it. Now, it won't be, there's a couple of weeks, I think VBS week you'll be off. So there's a couple opportunities where you might not, I think 4th of July falls on a on, on July 4th this year, so we wouldn't have a uh, Wednesday night dinner. For <coughs> yes, 4th of July does fall on the 4th. I think, <laughs> y'all just got I didn't get it this year. I was wondering about your life. I meant to say it falls on a Wednesday. So I'd, we won't have a Wednesday night meal. So there'll be two opportunities that you will not... Uh, the Wednesday, July 4th, which there's no evening services that night, and VBS, uh, there's no, now we're, co- we're serving food VBS, but um, Mindy is cooking, she's the VBS chef this year, so, and truthfulness, be praying about this, this is a great opportunity, even if you couldn't do it all, if you got a team of three or four folks and said, hey, I'll take this Sunday, you take the next Sunday, and we'll just... You know, we can even rank you and give grades on which, which cook we like best. And then, Marlene, we can say, well, who are we going to hire? So, all right, so that, but <clears throat> I wanted to give that up. Open your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 8. We are going through um, expository preaching on something. I don't know if you all have noticed. I've gotten, actually, compliments. Um, I changed my Sunday morning sermons the past four weeks. I don't know if you all have noticed that. I have been preaching on topical sermons. Now, remember... I only tell our Sunday night crowd this because I, won't, uh, because I know this. Uh, remember, I explained the difference between a topical sermon and an expository sermon. Expository is we take Scripture. We take you know, 20 verses of Scripture, and then we, get, we explain the Scripture, of what it means, and then how it applies to your life. And we just go down. The, the strength of expository preaching is you can't cherry-pick the Scriptures and pick what you want to be taught. The past 4 weeks after Easter, I've been preaching all topical sermons. Topic means you start with a topic. The topic is you're in a pit. So then I found th- three places in the Bible saying, "Okay, here's examples of the pit." So that has I've been doing that the past 4 weeks and just I'm seeing what type of results I or not results, but seeing what type of feedback I get from that because that is those are the two different types of preaching styles. So this here we are going to cover 21 verses this evening here. Luke Chapter 8, verses 1 through 21. So what we're doing is we're going through this Say, okay, how does this apply, what Jesus is saying here, how does it apply to my life with that? All right, we're going to read. There's four sections here, and we're going to read. I'm going to read it, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to do it in four different uh, sections. Afterward, he was traveling from one town and village to another preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news means the gospel. When someone says the gospel, you know, Zach was using that word gospel. We want the gospel. gospel is good news. The gospel is Jesus. Who does Boston need? They need Jesus. That's who Boston needs. And that's what missions and telling people the good news. So what happens is inviting someone to church, that's not really telling them the good news, but they're You're inviting them to a building that they will learn and be hearing about the good news. So uh, good news is what we would call one-on-one conversation. That's evangelism, where you're actually telling a lost person, someone who does not know Jesus, how to be saved. So what's going on here is Jesus is going around, and it says here he is telling people the good news of the kingdom of God. He's pointing people to the Lord. The twelve were with him, and also some women, who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary called Magdalene. Mary Magdalene says here, look at this, seven demons had come out of her. Jesus did an exorcism on her, and she was set free. So she became a female disciple of Jesus. So she began to follow him from from that. Joanna, the wife of uh, Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were supporting them, with their possessions. I want to share what that means. That meant we had our 12 disciples, and they were, of course, very loyal to Jesus Christ, but he also had women who would follow him around in his itinerant preaching and good news ministry and who supported his work. Now, we're coming to a problem here. This This is going to hit it on the female deacon issue because the word deacon is used in the Greek in one of these verses here. So this is what happens with expository preaching. You just can't skim over this. Okay, this is in the scriptures. We have to talk about it here. Um, these three ladies here that were mentioned, Mary Magdalene and Joanna, these were um, also interesting. These two women were also found at the empty tomb there in Luke 24.10. We'll, we'll come to that scripture later this year. But this lady here, Susanna, this is the only place in the Bible that this lady is mentioned here but these ladies it says they were supporting look at verse three this is the key word here it says they were supporting them from their possessions now that word supporting in the greek actually means deaconown now that is the word that is the greek word for deacon so this poses a problem for us because we do not have female deacons. We're going to answer the question, should churches have female deacons? Because our answer is going to be found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're about to flip over there and look at that with that. Well, you go ahead and turn there, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to see about uh, female deacons and pastors. Because, in fact, someone gave me a newsletter today, and their pastor was a female. Oh, you know, at the, It was talking about, and this wasn't a Baptist church, but they were showing me their newsletter and it had a female pastor there sharing about that. So should women be pastors and deacons? Now, if you go to some churches, they will have female pastors and deacons. Now I don't mean now in, here in our church we have Miss Sherry Lyons. she's our children's director. She's not ordained, she hasn't been licensed to the ministry. she's, um, she's not a pastor like uh, Myself, David Dell, Brother Hurd, Zach, you know, folks who've been ordained to gospel ministry, who involve in the teaching and the preaching of God's word. But this is these are I'm going to show you the verses that people, if you go to a church and they have female deacons and female pastors, I'm going to show you the verses they um uh quote. Um one's in um this one one is the one we just read because in Luke 8 3 in the Greek that word we're supporting, that that is the word diakonoun, which means, that is the word, we get deacon. The word deacon means to serve. That's actually a servant. So these women here, they, you know, people who would believe and argue for a female deacon would say, okay, here's your deacons right here, Mary Magdalene, Susanna, and uh, Joanna. These are some deacons that were serving just like the disciples. That's exactly what they say. Now, but there's a problem with this. The office of deacon is not talked about. They're referencing, these are women. I'm going to draw a distinction between the office of deacon that we're about to see in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and these women who were serving. These women were serving. They were serving the Lord, helping out with the ministry. Now, in Romans 16.1, and I love the NIV in this, because the NIV came from 1984. And there's a lady named Phoebe. In Romans 16 1 now, it won't be in the Christian standard Bible, but if you have a 1984 NIV version of the Bible Phoebe here is a servant Well, then they updated the NIV in 2011 And if you have that version of the Bible, you'll see Phoebe's no longer a servant Phoebe got a promotion This is why I don't use the NIV Bible. She became a deacon <laughs> So she got promoted from 1984 to 2011 Phoebe did all right, Romans 16, well, I'm going to read this for you. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Caesarea. Now, that word servant is used there. That is the same word, diakonoun, that means to serve as a deacon. That's that word, diakonoun, which is where we get deacon from. So people who believe and who, who support female deacons quote Luke 8.3, and they name these three women, and they quote Romans 16.1, and they say Phoebe here was a deacon, and because the word is used to describe her service. She was serving, therefore she has the office of deacon. All right, <clears throat> so... If we didn't have 1 Timothy chapter 3, you might believe that. You would go along thinking, well, maybe there's nothing wrong with being a female pastor or a female deacon. Turn in your Bibles. This is important. Turn in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Because this is really foundational. This is your leadership for your church. Start in verse 2 here. or Turn in verse 1. 1 Timothy 3.1. This is a trustworthy, first it's going to talk about the qualifications. There's two biblical offices in a church. The office of overseer, which also translate pastor, bishop, and elder. All four of those words are used to refer to the same office. Now, if we were in a Presbyterian church, they would split that and try to say, no, the office of elder is separate from pastor. But in our Bibles, the word that's used, it's used interchangeably. Overseer, pastor, bishop, and elder. It's four different, four different words that are used referring to the same office. And this is the best, uh, uh, best place we're going to see this. If anyone despires to be an overseer, so that's a pastor, that would be my office. He desires a noble work an overseer, or pastor, or bishop, or elder. Therefore, must be, a pro, be above reproach the husband of one wife. Now, the problem with that is the husband of one wife. Can a female be a husband of one wife? Paul is writing and assuming you know, he's writing the qualifications for a pastor. A pastor is to be the husband of one wife, meaning he's going to be a man. The biblical office of pastor refers to a man. I'll tell you the other thing here, if you flip back a page in First Timothy 2, 11, No 2, 12. 1 Timothy 2:12. I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. Now, that is referring to this, this office The Women should not be your, your pastors, your person that's standing up in authority over men. And most people would interpret this as, you know, when a boy reaches a certain age, he should be taught by a man when he grows up and becomes an adult, whether it be 13 or 12 or... 18, whatever the age, at some point, a woman shouldn't have authority, meaning an office position in church, over men. So we see here, in the book of 1 Timothy 2.12 and 1 Timothy 3.2, the office of pastor here, it's for a man. Females should not be... Preachers of the gospel now or pastors of the gospels holding the office now obviously females go to do missions work They go out and evangelize and do that but the actual ordained office here This lady is going to pastor his church that goes against scripture And we as southern baptists in our 2000 baptist faith the message We have uh, clearly stated that that uh, the office of pastor is limited to a man. So now we say okay That's one office. What about the other office? What about the office of deacon? Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Skip down here. Look here at um, verse 11. Now, now <clears throat> the first seven verses of chapter 3, or, or, or yeah, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, are about pastors. Then starting in verses 8 through 13, it's talking about the office as deacon. So let's pick up here on verse 11. Now remember, we're talking about deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanders, self-controlled, faithful in everything. So this is a deacon's wife. Can a man be a wife? Remember, Paul is writing this to Timothy in Ephesus, and he's giving him standards on how to manage and run the church there. And he's assuming the deacons will be men and then they will, be, they will have wives and the wives have a responsibility. A deacon's wife has a responsibility. Then verse 12, deacons are to be the husbands of one wife, managing their children in their own households competently. So right there, deacons are to be husbands of one wife. Again, can a female be the husband of one wife? No, no. There's gender roles here. It's, Paul's saying a deacon is supposed to be the man. Now, a lot of churches, this is where there's a double standard. Even in Baptist churches, this happens. Those same qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 2 and verse 12, a deacon and a pastor or overseer is to be the husband of one wife, assuming it's to be a, a man who has one wife. You know, it's not not someone who's divorced. <clears throat> Many times in churches, they allow divorced deacons, but not divorced pastors. Have you ever found that? Have you ever noticed that? A lot of churches don't go for a divorced pastor, but they will allow a divorced deacon. That's, that's contrary to Scripture. I mean, it's right there in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So, when we, as we read through this, when we go back to Tying all this back to Luke chapter 8, verse 3, we say, okay, what about, uh, what about these three women here? And the word deacon is actually used there because they're serving. This is what they are doing. They're serving the Jesus, they're serving the other disciples, they're serving the gospel ministry, but they are not holding the office of deacon. Do you all see the difference? Anyone can serve. God expects all of us to serve, but that doesn't mean we ordain you and make you a deacon. A deacon, of course, is supposed to serve. But anyone's obligated to serve. Here at Broadway, you should be serving. If you aren't serving, you're outside the will of God. We, remember, we never retire from ministry. There's multiple opportunities in this church to serve. Every single one of you should have a place. Literally, just like I mentioned today, and <clears throat> I mean, really, this hits home. Listen, if we don't have, it's not all about Wednesday night dinner. But just say we don't have Wednesday night dinner. I want you all to know, our tenants will drop. It will. There will be fewer people here. What Darlene does, and Sandy Cloyd, and Phoebe, what they do on Wednesday night, that is a gospel ministry to our church. So it's very likely no one could step up. And we just, for the next 16 weeks, we will not have that here at our church. That's a reality that could happen. And that, that's sad. That's a sign of people. I want to tell you something. We can literally pull out the calendar. There's probably 16 weeks Darlene's going to miss, or it would take those minus two, probably 13 or 14. We could literally fill one person with it every a different night and say, Would you be willing to cook one time this summer? Absolutely. That is an opportunity to serve. Food ministry. Jesus ministered with food. It extends. It's an opportunity, because it's not just for us. It goes out beyond here. It does have a big impact. We bless other people with that. We serve the college students free food. If people don't have money, I know that they've, just, they've come through. I mean, it's a, it's a ministry of our church. So when we read about this, the women serving, we read about what does it mean to be a deacon, Here it is, Broadway. Here's an opportunity for you to step up. And it would be sad if we don't have that. And it's also, we shouldn't expect Darlene to cook every single... I mean, she needs a break. It's a lot to cook every single Wednesday night. She's here on Tuesday and Wednesday all day getting ready for that, buying the food, preparing. Anyway, going back to this, we see here women supported Jesus' ministry. They did the same type of work of supporting that a deacon would do, although they did not have the office of deacon. Moving along here, back to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 4. This is the parable of the sower. This is one of the few parables that Jesus interpreted himself. And we're going to see biblical principles that this greatly applies to us. As a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in this parable, so here's his parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground when it grew up. It produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. That's incredible. So we see... A picture here. And then as he said this, he called out, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. All right, so Jesus just told this parable. So we go out and we throw our seed out. And the seed lands on different types of soil. There's four different types of soil this occurs to. And he just stops there. He doesn't interpret. So the farmer's just throwing this seed and it lands on all sorts of stuff. But then he, in the middle of this parable, he shifts here. And watch what happens. Verse 9. Then his disciples asked him, Jesus, what does this parable mean? What on earth are you talking about? I mean, it's literally like, this is what it would be like. Welcome to Lexington. We've got a lot of barbecue here. There's city barbecue. There's Lyle's Barbecue. There's Mark's Feed Store Barbecue. And then you can even go down to Kroger and get some at the grocery store, their barbecue as well. All right. And then he walks away and he stops. And you look at him and go, what on earth? What's he talking about? Barbecue? This farmer sowing seed? Now he's going to explain it here. So he said to them, now, he's, now this, is, this is for us, because he's going to explain why he speaks in his parables. Remember, a parable is a story that has a deeper meaning. The secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, to know, but to the rest in parables, so that looking they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. That's Isaiah 9, 6. Do you know what that means? That means Jesus Christ says, I'm telling you these parables for the saved folks. I'm telling you this so that believers will understand what I'm saying, but a lost person will not grasp this. A lost person at all does not understand the parable of the sower. Why on earth would a farmer sow and the seed falls on some different soil? Well, big deal. What does that mean? Now Jesus is about to interpret. So he's speaking in parables for our benefit. Isaiah did this. It was predicted, it was prophesied that Jesus would be a parable teacher he would use this so folks wouldn't understand now here it is now this is the main point verse 11 jesus interprets this parable i want you to look at this this is the meaning of the parable the seed is the word of god so that's what we're talking about here when we talk about the seed we're talking about the truth the gospel truth the seed along the path are those who have heard And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. I want to read this again. The seed that falls along the path. I believe this could be happening right here tonight. I believe this happens all the time. I believe it happens in every worship service. Every Sunday school lesson, it happens when you listen to a gospel preaching on TV or on the radio, or you turn on a channel and all of a sudden you feel you need to change it. Let's read this again. The seed, this is verse 12, the seed along the path are those who have heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. I want you all to understand this. Anytime you go out and you decide you're going to make a kingdom impact, there's someone looking over your shoulder. And it's not the Lord. It's the devil. He is watching what you do when you decide to sow seed. He's watching what our church do. will do. When we have an outreach evangelism focus, the devil is right there to thwart our plans. He's going to stop it. He'll try anything he can to have cell phones going off, to have sound system problems, to have things go out of whack during the service, any way possible to prevent people from hearing about the gospel. During the invitation, everybody runs out the door, it's going over, so that's a distraction. Any distraction possible. That is what he's talking about. Verse 12, he takes away the word sown from their hearts, So that they may not believe and be saved. The devil is trying to take away God's word. You are trying to sow seed, yet you have an adversary who's going to steal it from you. Listen, Satan wants our church to go out of business. Did y'all know that? He wants us to be fighting, he wants ministries to end, he wants us to be broke, he wants us to have other priorities in evangelism and outreach. Anything he can do. The most dangerous thing Broadway Baptist Church can ever do is to start sowing seed. Because once we start sowing seed, the devil is in trouble. Because why? Look at this. Look at this verse here. Verse 12. So that they may not believe and be saved. That's all the devil cares about. He does not want people saved. I think it's amazing that the devil is involved in evangelism. <laughs> He's involved in evangelism of taking the seed out of their heart. I'll tell you, it is harder than ever to witness to people. It's amazing. Their cell phone goes up. They're How distracted they are. Even when people in church, they're not in church. They're here, but they're not here. I want you all, I have a Thursday discipleship group. I might have some of the guys here tonight. And we were talking about this. If you are ever sitting in this worship service and someone has their head cocked straight down like that for a long period of time, do you know what they're doing? They're looking at their phone. That's the look. That's it. That's what it looks like. A person looking at their phone, we all hope they're reading their Bible. But they might not be. A person looking at their phone is not listening to the Word of God. They aren't getting one thing out of a sermon. They don't have any clue in the world. It's like when I asked Elizabeth last week, Elizabeth, what was that podcast about? Oh, Jesus. That's just a standard church answer. Of course it's about Jesus. They've missed it. The devil is going to steal from your heart. And he's right there. He's following the sower. All right, next, next, uh, next verse here. Verse 13. And the seed on the rock. <clears throat> so the rock here, this is going to represent our flesh. This is what this is. This falls on us all around us. And the seed on the rock, verse 13, are those who when they hear, receive the word with joy, having no root. These believe for a while and they fall away in a time of testing. They fall in a pit. And all of a sudden they realize this is hard being a believer. It is never easy following Jesus Christ. It should, it's not easy being a church member. You know, a church asks a lot from you. 10% you're expected to give, you're expected to serve, you're supposed to be here every time the doors are open. Jesus has, He wants a commitment higher than any other commitment. Do you know Jesus Christ is the only, you know, non-profit organizations are great. We support them. You support them. But Jesus only established one organization. In Matthew chapter 18, He established the church. Jesus established the church. And He works through the church. So listen, when a church dies, or when a church struggles, the gospel ministry struggles. Christians, we are surrounded by people who are trying to do solo ministry. Churches should never stop Sunday evening worship services, Wednesday night services. They should have opportunities over and over again to hear God's Word preached and taught. Because when they, this is what happens to folks. The seed, it falls along. The rock. They're excited. They hear, they receive it with joy, but they have no root. That's the flesh. It is hard and challenging. Being a committed believers of Jesus Christ, but he expects it, because when we get to the fourth one, we're going to see what happens. When you're faithful to the Lord, you see a hundred, you see a miraculous overflow in your life, a hundredfold. Verse 14. "As for the seed, seed that fell among the thorns, this here is the third one. This also happens. This happens all the time. If it's not the flesh, it's going to be the world. As the seed that fell among the thorns. These are the ones who, when they have heard, they go on their way, and they're choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life. So they agree with it. This would be the religious pluralism we talked about on Wednesday night. It's folks that would just agree, say, absolutely, I believe in God. Yes, Christianity is great. If you are sincere in that faith, amen, brother, to you. But they're worldly people. There's other priorities. They go on their way. They're choked with riches, worries, and pleasures of life, and produce no mature fruit. There's no fruit there. Nothing happens. It's the world. So what happens when you go out and sow seed? We see the devil. I mean, he's right there taking it away. Then we see the flesh. All of a sudden, they, they receive it with joy, but then um, they just it just hard times fall on them. They just can't make it. They have no fruit. Then these others here on the thorns, they're excited, but they're choked out because there's other commitments, other priorities. I spoke to someone this morning that was telling me, and this, you know, we live near Shiloh Park. This is sad. Do you know we could drive over to Shiloh Park on a Sunday morning at 9, 10, 11 o'clock? Do you know what we would find? Hundreds and thousands of kids. There was somebody in our church that had a baseball game at 11 o'clock at Shiloh Park. Right there, two blocks from our house. Right there. And they weren't here. They were playing baseball. Then they had another one that afternoon. That's unheard of. At least for me when I was growing up. I never, never was there Wednesday night and Sunday games. Or even practice. Now it's the norm. That's what it means. They're choked out. Choked out. The devil's just laughing. He knows, okay, I'm keeping these Christians. I'm keeping these families. Keeping these believers out of church. Hey, We could plant a church over there in the spring, in the fall, at Shiloh Park. I mean, you could take a church planner and go there and have a service at 10 o'clock in the morning. There'd be a lot of folks. That's an opportunity for ministry. And there's millions over there. Look here what happens after these seeds fall, we get here to verse 15. Verse 15, but the seed in the good ground. So this is the one that falls on the good ground. Those who heard, those who are the ones who after hearing the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring produce fruit. And if you look back in your Bibles in verse 8, it also says here that the seed that fell on the good soil, still the other seed that fell on the good soil here, verse 8, when it grew up, it produced a f- fruit a hundred times what was sown. What that means is Jesus Christ, when, when, when soil, when it falls, when the, so, the seed falls on good soil, you have a supernatural harvest. A supernatural harvest means when the folks in the pews, the folks here at Broadway decide, we're going to start sowing seed. We're going to be a missions and evangelistic church. And we're going to be a church that welcomes folks with open arms to Jesus and advances the gospel. That means all of a sudden, you see things that start to happen. Incredible things that happen that you yourselves could not have done except by the Lord. The Lord made it happen. We want to be believers that see that hundredfold increase. A a miracle, literally a supernatural miracle. And you only can give credit to the Lord because he did it. You can't. That's what it means to fall the good soil. Now, the great thing about this parable, if parable really tells us, you know, you're going to go out and sow some seed and you're going to have the devil, I mean, he's going to be working against you. You're going to have a lot of people who they're just caught up in the flesh. They just quit for whatever reason. There's a way too many Christians sitting in the, laying in bed on Sunday morning. And then there's going to be other people there at the ballpark. They're distracted. They got caught up in the thorns and they're choked out. They're on, that's where they're at on Sunday morning. But the, the powerful thing about the gospel, some seed will fall on good soil. And you will have a hundredfold crop out of that person. Now think about it. Someone led me to Christ. Over my years of being a Christian, since I was 16 years old, I don't know how many people I have led to Christ, but it might be over a hundred. One person led me to the Lord. And I'll look back... 80 years later or so, and when I get to heaven, God will say, you led 503 people to the Lord. That's a supernatural impact ministry. One seed can multiply its influence. But the challenge of this parable is where Christians get hung up at, we do not have a crop unless we sow the seed. The problem is we aren't sowing the seed. We as as believers... Jesus is telling us, disciples, you need to be sowing. right, keep moving along. Verse 16 here. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a basket or puts it under a bed, but puts it in a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. For nothing is concealed that won't be revealed. And nothing is hidden that won't be made known and brought to light. Therefore, take care how you listen. The Bible's telling us you need to guard what you listen to. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken away from him. The Bible says here, Jesus is saying, therefore, take care how you listen. I want you all to know, if you are listening to trashy TV shows, trashy movies, garbage songs, it will affect your light. We have a light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He's put it inside of you. He says... You know, let your light shine before men. But listen, if you are allowing garbage and sin and immorality into your life, t- that's what he means. Take care how you listen. We have to guard our ears. We guard our eyes. We guard who's, who's influencing us. We guard who we're listening to. For many of us, We might not be watching trashy TV shows, but you're listening to garbage on Fox News. Garbage on the radio. And it's influencing, it creates hate. Listen, we have the most divided nation in the world. Everyone hates everybody. They just hate them. They don't even know why. They just don't like them. And Jesus is here saying, all that matters, all that matters is whether folks are saved. We love our government and we want what's best for it. But listen, the government will not save a soul. It won't do it. Will not. Does it matter who's elected? I mean, we don't want to lose our government. But what's most important? Jesus Christ saying is, is the light of the Lord. If you're going to let it light a lamp, let it shine before men. Keep moving here. Verse 19, last section. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not meet with him because of the crowds. So mom and da- or mom and brothers were there and he was told your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you jesus like you've got some important folks you need to see here mary and your brothers are here but he replied to them my mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of god jesus just redefined family we associate family as our blood family that's true that's our biological family Jesus is saying here, there's something more to that. Blood relations do not prove you're listening to God's Word. He's saying here, I want to be people who are my mother and my brothers who hear and do the Word of God. Meaning they actually hear this Scripture preached and taught and they take action on it. That's what it means to be in the family of God. A church is the family of God united by the obedience to the Word of God. That's what it is. We are united as a family here at Broadway and a part of the whole worldwide church, people who obey God's Word. He's defining those who are related to Him. Who's related to Jesus? People who obey God's Word. People who are in obedience to Him. His, um, this message here, <clears throat> throughout these 21 verses we just read, what he's saying here is that our faith does not come through religious traditions. It doesn't come... Through family line, but rather it's putting God's Word in practice. And he, throughout every one of these, He kept warning you about what you hear. Hearing God's Word. I think what Jesus is saying is it is possible you could be hearing God's Word over and over and over again, and if you don't take action on it, you've missed the point. Jesus Christ, He's expecting us to be sowers of the Word. We're to be sowing the seed. We're to be letting our light shine, remember? Because if if we're hearing trash, your light will not shine. Not only that, we're to remember that your, your spiritual relationships, spiritual relationships are more important than physical relationships. That's what Jesus is saying here. And not only that, He's defining women as they are right there serving and doing the Lord's work with the disciples. Tradition did not matter to Jesus He had a whatever-it-takes attitude. He's going to go out there, and he's going to advance the gospel. He's going to sow the seed. Saving faith is more than intellectual knowledge. Just knowing the Bible doesn't bring you salvation. Putting it into practice is what perfects your faith. Verse 21. We're going to close on this verse, because I want you to hear it again. Because all of us here, we want to be in the family of God. You want to identify with Christ. My mother and my brothers are those who hear. They hear God's Word. They're hearing the Bible preached and do the Word of God. Hear and do. I want to tell you, a lot of church folks, we're good at the hearing. You've heard every sermon in this book. I'm just another preacher. I just come on down the line, assembly line. Jesus Christ, is asking you, are you doing God's Word? Are you doing this? And if you are, if you're actually doing this, you now are my mother and my brothers. He just redefined family. Jesus doesn't care about physical family. Physical family doesn't save you. Jesus' goal is to see see folks saved. See folks coming to the family of God. Because He knows this, this is just... This is nothing. All that matters is whether folks know the Lord. God, I pray tonight, as we have our invitation, I pray if there's anyone here, maybe they do not have you as a mother and a brother, I pray tonight they will come to saving faith in Christ. Lord, not only do we hear, but we do the Word of God. Lord, we need to be folks who take action. God, I pray that you give us a passion for the word. I pray we become sowers. Lord, I pray tonight, if there's somebody here that needs to make a decision, as we have our Sunday evening service, an opportunity to respond, I pray of the boldness and courage to respond to the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to have our invitation. As always, I'm standing out front. This is your opportunity to respond. Gene's going to lead us in a song. Let's stand together and sing.
0: Hymn number 434, I have decided to follow Jesus.
2: David I want to remind everybody our next event here is on um, Wednesday night so we have dinner at 5:30. then we are studying the crucifixion so that's going to be what we're going to be uh, teaching on we're going to be especially looking at when did Jesus die so did he die on Good Friday so we're going to be looking at the timeline and matching that up with the crucifix uh the resurrection so it's been a great study I want to invite you to bring your Bibles 6:30, right, David <laughs>
0: Let's join together in singing. Blessed be the name of the Lord, just the chorus. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name.